I was barely, barely 12 years old, riding the bus home from school that last day of sixth grade. I was really excited about summer that year. When the bus pulled up in front of my house, I jumped off, ran down the gravel driveway, into the back door that led to the kitchen, and there I found my mom. She didn't look very happy, and that kind of scared me. This time, though, she didn't hit me. This time, she didn't yell at me. She didn't throw anything at me. She didn't try to cast demons from me. This time, my mom told me that she left some bags on my bed. And that I could put my things in those bags because a woman was coming the next day to take me to another home. I didn't know what to say. She didn't tell me why. So I kind of glared at her for a moment. Kind of walked out of the kitchen. My heart was sinking. I was choking back the tears. I didn't want to give her the opportunity to see how much that hurt me. So I went to my room and I took those bags and I started filling them with my things and I, I cried and I cried and I rummaged through my mind trying to figure out what I had done to cause that. I knew my mom had issues, but usually she's the one who left. Nobody said another word about it, not that night, not the next day, never. So the next day came, my mom came to my room and she says, the woman is here. So I grabbed two bags and I walked out into the living room and the woman says I could put my things in the back seat of her car. So I took these two bags outside to the driveway where this little green Pinto was parked. It's the kind, you know, the state workers used to drive at the time. And I put my two bags in the back seat of that car and I went back into the house. And I don't know where my mom was or this woman, but I grabbed two more bags and I took them out to the back seat of the car and I just kept taking my things out. And when I finished, I put the last of my things in the back seat. I walked around to the passenger seat and I got inside, shut the door, and I stared at the back. And that's where my eyes stayed, staring at that yellow dash. Eventually, the woman came out, and she got in the car, and she backed up. And as she was backing out, I could see that the front door was popped open just a few inches, and my mom was looking out. But my eyes stayed on that dash. So that's when I went into my first foster home. My mom came and visited me a couple of times that summer. I never did see my dad. All I wanted that whole summer was to go home. Well, the end of the summer came and my mom did come and she got me and she took me home. 
and I was really happy. But it wasn't long after I got home that I realized that something in me had changed. I wasn't the same. Things were just not the same after that. Well, about two and a half years later, my mom and I were in the kitchen. Things hadn't really gotten much better during that time. I mean, I don't even know what we were arguing about, frankly. I just know that she got really angry. I mean, she was pissed. I was washing dishes. She started yelling at me. I, don't, I said something to her that really, really set her off. Don't even know what it was, like I said. But all of a sudden, she just, she started yelling for my dad. She was so angry. Bob! Bob! That's it! I've had it! Get her out of here! It's me or it's her! It's me or it's her! And she just kept saying that over and over. It's me or it's her. I stomped out of that kitchen, went to my room, grabbed the bag, started throwing my things in it. A few minutes later, I hear my dad come up the stairs and he's at my bedroom door and I turned around and I looked at him and he looked mad too. And he says, so what do you wanna do? <laughs> what do I wanna do? He's asking me what I wanted to do. Didn't he care? He was putting that responsibility on me. So I looked up at him and I said, well, I'm not staying here. And with that, he left, came back a few minutes later, said, grab my things. He took me in his pickup up to the juvenile detention center. I'd never been there before. So he marched me up to the back door of this detention center and knocked on the door, a woman opens it, and I walk in. And as the door shut, I turned and I could see John, a family friend, outside comforting my dad. And the woman took me into her room and stripped me naked and gave me a pair of socks and panties and t-shirt and a pair of jeans with no pockets in them, locked me in a cell where I stayed for the weekend. Well, that's when I went into my second foster home. Well, over the next two years, I was in multiple foster homes. Not only multiple foster homes, but three trips to the hospital, two for depression, one for a suicide attempt. And in intertwined in, in all of that, CSD kept trying to find somewhere to place me. A group home, a girl's school, something. Somewhere where they could treat teen girls with behavioral problems. Because that's what I'd become to them. Well, the second time I ended up in the hospital for depression, we had a hearing. Well, that's not so unusual. Foster kids go to hearings all the time. So we got there, and what turned out to be the unusual thing, though, was that my mom and dad were there, and they didn't normally show up for these hearings. But 
but it didn't take long before I found out why they were there. My mom and dad voluntarily terminated their parental rights that day. And I became a ward of the state at 16 years old. Then a psychiatrist testified, and a judge, after that, committed me to six months at the Oregon State Hospital in an adolescent unit. Well, I heard that, and I thought, I'm not doing that. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to the Oregon State Hospital. So I walked out of the courtroom, and I saw my dad. And when I saw him, I walked up to him, and I put my arms around him, and I hugged him. And this was the first hug that he and I had ever shared. And I said, Dad. Don't let him do this. And he just shook his head and said, there's nothing I can do. So I dropped my arms and I ran down the stairs and out the back doors and into this four lane busy street in downtown where I live. And when I got in the middle of this street, one of the caseworkers had caught up to me and he grabbed me and he held me on the ground until a car pulled up just a moment later and he throws me in the back seat of this car <coughs> And it's driving off, and it's my caseworker, Wanda, is driving. So I thought, well, they were ready for me. It didn't take long for that car to get there. So we're driving down the street, and I asked them where we were going, and they wouldn't tell me. So I assumed that we were probably going to the juvenile department. They would probably just lock me up there for the weekend so I wouldn't run. And we got to the highway, and the juvenile department is to the right, but they turned left. And I thought, well, maybe they must be taking me back to the hospital where they can drug me or something and put me in a room, lock me up there. <clears throat> but then when we drove past that intersection, I realized that we were leaving town because that's the only place to go past that. So we went to Salem that night. They were ready. They knew me. They were taking no chances. And we got to Salem about dusk and drove into this parking lot that was desolate. And there was this building three stories high that looked like it was abandoned or something. It looked scary. So we get into the elevator and it didn't make it any better that the first area that we walked through was a, an old abandoned ward of this building, part of the Oregon State Hospital. And we walked into this next section, which was also a ward. This ward they called Ward 81. Ward 81 is, was the ward where they housed criminally insane women. It's a maximum security ward for the state of Oregon for the criminally insane women. And that's when they left me. Well, I was only 16, so they put me in a room by myself. And not that I couldn't walk around during the day, but in the evening I found out that they, because there was lack of staff, they'd lock me in my room at night. 
And I'll never forget that first night when the woman came to lock my room. And she explained that she was locking the room because they couldn't let people out at night. And she gave me this pail, similar to a milk can without a handle, a little bit smaller, and said that if I needed to use the restroom, that that's what I needed to use. And in the morning when they unlocked the door, then I would take it out, dump it into the toilet, wash it, and put it with the rest of the pails. Well, I never used that pail. <laughs> Couldn't bring myself to do that. Well, the next week came. It wasn't their intent to leave me there. The next week came, and, and uh, they were, took me over to the adolescent unit, which was the, actually a house is what it was. Really kind of a cool house. It was a plantation-style home. And when I saw it, I thought, well, that doesn't look so bad. Maybe I'll just kind of <coughs> do what I need to do and get my time done and get out of there or look for my opportunity to get out of there, if that's what <laughs> I could uh, manage. But I got over there, and just like the other times, they're interviewing me, and I wouldn't cooperate. I'd sit dumb, not answer their questions. Or if they kept pressing me too hard, or if they managed to touch one of my very sensitive hair trigger buttons and set me off, I would just get angry. Angry to the point of even raging, if that's what was necessary, just to make them go away. Because I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be in all these foster homes or the institution or wherever. I just wanted to go home. Well, they wouldn't accept me in their program. So I went back to Ward 81. There was a psychiatrist who used to show up there all two or three times a week, but he'd see me once or twice a month. Generally, just to check in. He would want to know how I was getting along. Well, I got along fine. Didn't take me long to figure out who to engage and who not to, where to be alone and where not to be alone. Didn't take me long at all. Before he'd ask me how uh, things were going as far as, uh, was I having any, any um, side effects from the drugs? Yeah, we prescribed drugs. Everybody there was prescribed drugs. Antipsychotics, antidepressants, sleeping pills, one or the other, or a combination of all three. Some of the favorites people used to take were Thorazine, Celadine, Haldol, Finiquin, all those kinds of drugs. Well, I had mine, just like everybody else. Get in line, they give you a little cup and your little flat cup of juice, and I plop that pill in my mouth, take my juice. Oh, I had such a hard time swallowing those pills. But I was really cheeking it. So then I'd kind of meander off into the day room so as not to, to uh, give them any ideas of what I was doing. And then a few minutes later, I'd go to my room and I'd take that pill out and hide it in my locker. So yeah, I wasn't having any side effects. <laughs> I was fine.
not what I needed. I didn't need a psychiatrist. I needed a mom and dad. I didn't need drugs. I needed to be hugged. I didn't need to be locked up. I needed freedom. That kind of freedom that comes with being unconditionally loved and accepted. Just the way I am.